and welcome into the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. Record date is Monday, January 31st. The Orlando Magic winners of 3 of 4 now, 2-0 and over the weekend, and a 3-2 and homestand out on the road. We'll see the Chicago Bulls Tuesday night, and then it'll be the Indiana Pacers on Wednesday. My guest for the program tonight is James Edwards. And James, it, it, last year it was, and basically since I came back to Orlando, the podcast was called the Magic Weekly Podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I changed it in the offseason to the Mostly Magic Podcast, specifically so that I could talk about the Magic if I wanted to, or I could talk about anything else. That is why we rebranded to Mostly Magic, and uh, that is why I am glad to have you on. For those who don't know, James and I covered the Pistons for, what, a year and a half maybe together? I left yeah. when Blake when Blake arrived. That was your second season? That was midway. Th- Actually, no, that was that was my first season. It was... I started 2017-18. I was it's Rook's it's uh, Luke's rookie year. So and Blake was traded in 2018. Yeah. We only got a half season together. No, 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 no. no. Uh maybe. Are wow, you sure you sucks. didn't leave? Are you sure you didn't leave in late 2018? Yeah, well it was it was you like didn't... it was like February because I my first day at 923 the fan in Cleveland was um the Super Bowl. It was the day after the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. Dude, we crammed a lot of good times into that small window. I thought it was longer. Think about. I I, I thought it was longer. Yeah. Um. So my guest for the program today is James Edwards. He covers the Pistons for the Athletic. He is a Flint native. He is a Michigan State Spartan. Um. And he's a big deal now. James, you're doing so well. I'm so proud of you. Um. How have things been going? And and just update me on on what your life's like right now. Things are good, man. Um. It's always good talking to you. You're my guy, as you know. We don't talk as much as obviously we used to. We're both pretty busy, but I felt bad not getting to Orlando this past week just to see you. But like we just looked it up. I'll be in Orlando in March around my birthday. So we'll have fun. It'll be good to see you. When's your birthday again? March 14th. Oh, yeah. Mine's the 15th. How did I? I yeah. And yours is the 15th. Yeah. I think we, oh, no, we wouldn't have done something together because you left in February, as we just established. <sighs> I feel like it was longer than that. But anyway. Me too. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to have to rethink that. Things have been good. Um, just got uh, i'm a puppy dad uh unfortunately i'm not a big dog guy but the lady wanted a dog so we got a dog um covering the pistons has been fun i've i've enjoyed it more than those years when you were there just simply because it's a young team where anything can happen on any given night as you know covering orlando now um as opposed to an older group where you kind of knew what the ceiling was and every game kind of mattered because this team was trying to make the playoffs. Now it's like, if I don't want to write about this game, I don't have to write about this game. So mm. it's a lot of, it's a lot of good characters. Um, a lot of interesting guys. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm really enjoying it. Everything's going good. All right. So that's a good, that's a good place to start. Cause I wanted to get to that at some point. Um, I have felt when I, I know exactly what you're saying um, as far as a, a veteran team that you think there might be a ceiling and it's kind of like, it feels rudderless. Yeah. Um, when when the rebuild starts, there is excitement, and mm-hmm. you guys are about a year further along uh, as opposed to the Magic. There are young players; the results don't matter as much, like you said. Like you're, you're you can tell better stories, but then the flip side is you have to explain to fans why <laughs> you have eleven wins or why you yeah. have nine wins. How right. have you dealt with that? Um, because it because I can see it on social media. I used to deal with it as well when I was in Detroit when I was on the air doing live post game shows. Yeah, um, you know how the fans are here. It can be tricky. It can be very very tricky. And I will say this: Magic fans are 
are passionate, but they're but but they're not Detroiters. I mean, Detroit fans are um, Philly they're, light. They're in your face, Philly yeah. light. Exactly. So so how is that? What's that process like for you? No, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, the one thing I can do is 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 tell it through my reporting, like set the expectations. I, I feel like I have a good pulse and having sources and stuff, knowing kind of what the objective is. And if people choose not to read it or ignore it, that's that's on them. Um, but I would also say you have to kind of reiterate what a rebuild is about. And you mentioned it like you're not necessarily writing or paying, you're not really focused on the games when you're either writing, doing podcasts, whatever. It's more about individual storylines because this is the feel out period. Like, just like, just like the magic, the Pistons are trying to figure out which guys are going to be here when we're ready to turn a corner. It's, you've got the young core pieces. You're trying to figure out who is who, what is what. And you set the precedent for two, one and a half, two, three years down the line. Um, so you kind of got to keep that in perspective. And I think that's the most important thing. I think fans in Detroit, some, and, and I hate saying it because as a fan, I totally understand rooting for your team to win. That's natural fandom. That's what anybody is programmed to do. My issue is when people act like it's the coach's fault that this team isn't winning when it's like, dude, have you seen the roster? Like it's not, they're not built to win. Um, it's like, there's something that they could, that could be done to make this team a playoff team. And there's just not. So that's where the frustration lies. But overall, I think most Pistons fans understand it. They get it. They're excited. The team might not win, but they're starting to play harder. Sands the magic game. Um, or I don't even know if Sands is the right word. Minus the magic game. Yeah, sure. uh, they're playing better. And I think people can digest that when it's a bunch of young guys are the reason that they're one seven of their last 16 and are playing teams hard. I think the fans can get behind that. You've got to um you got to take the little wins, don't you? Uh yeah. as they come. And they're and and look, the Pistons have They've got one of the best young players in the league. They've got, I thought they did a really good job last year in the draft It's in what could be a tricky draft um, being where they were and, and not necessarily having um, that, that super sort of pole position um, mm-hmm. as far as that goes. And, and look, I, I, if you think Dwayne Casey is the problem then I'm not sure what to tell you, then you're not paying enough attention, right? Like, like yeah. you said, I mean, Dwayne Casey is a proven commodity in this league. Not only has he won into the playoffs, but he's also presided over a rebuild that eventually not with him, but eventually yeah. turned into a championship. What's it like with him? Um, day to day, he seems like a, a delight to cover. And can you feel impatience? I mean, he is, He's not a spring chicken. It is a little bit yeah. of a different uh, situation as it is, uh, as opposed to Coach Mosley, who's getting his first opportunity and who's a player development guy, but a little bit younger and was an assistant for years under Rick Carlisle. Uh, right. How's how's Coach Casey holding up? I, I think he's – obviously there's frustration at times just because he's so used to winning and he's so used to coaching – veteran teams. I mean, yes, that Toronto team started young, but they had a good run of being a mature kind of proven commodity. So, but I would also say, I think Dwayne was the biggest one banging on the table that this team needs to rebuild. He understood that what he came here, what he inherited as the coach, there was a ceiling on it. He understood that the cap situation was in a tough spot. Um, And he came from Toronto where they rebuilt from almost the ground up. So he understood it. I think, of course, any coach like you get frustrated, not necessarily with the results, but the process in those results. And so them being a young team, the process isn't always pretty. And that's where you see his frustration. But I mean, 
he's as nice of a guy as you can come across. He's the epitome of a Southern gentleman, um, has a good sense of humor, really loves what he does. He's teaching a lot more this year than coaching, which he always says all the time. Mm. Um, and I think one thing that kind of puts the Dwayne Casey argument to rest where there's certain fans that think this team could be better if there's a different coach. It's like, well, if you think that, like, look how hard these guys play with 11 wins. Yeah. Like if that was the case, like they wouldn't have come back from 15 0 down to Cleveland last night and won by 10. So like they play for them. The guys, the coach, the players like them. And like at this stage of where you are in your, your rebuild, like that's super important. Like you have a guy that guys want to go play for and are responding to and aren't just laying down for. And like, Jake, you've been covering this league log enough. Everybody talks about the X's and O's coach. That's fine. Whatever. To me, the most important coach in the NBA is the coach who can get players to play for him. Mm. Like that just, you know, like the personalities in this league, the X's and O's guy can get you far, can get you to a certain place. But the great coaches are the ones that have both. And I think to me, what holds more weight is the coach that's going to get the best out of players and get them to play hard because, um, I mean, you know how much, especially in the dog days of the season, how much just playing hard can result to wins. I just looked. I think today is the second day this season. Both the Pistons and the Magic are coming off a win. And I was surprised there was another one, to be honest with you. But you're right. Like at this point, I mean, there's it's really easy, especially at this point. Everybody's got one eye on the all-star break. People are making reservations. Um, And and when you cold, it's cold. I'm not really. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's about 50. 50 something right now. Uh, um, but so, but no, it's tricky. And I, I think, I think all things considered, both organizations are in pretty good places. And mm-hmm. with you guys, you know, last year was about Sadiq and it was about beef stew. And obviously Isaiah Stewart, like I, that guy has to play so well in Michigan, <laughs> in yeah. Southeast Michigan specifically, he yeah. feels like a piston for sure. But then you get Cade and now all of a sudden it's and Killian Hayes as well. But now all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is our guy, and yep. and the the path has laid itself out. Um, tell me about Cade, the player, and Cade the person. Well, Cade the person is one of the nicest young men I've ever had a chance to be around, and I hate that I have to say young men because I'm getting old. I'll be 30 in March. Like when I first started, like I was as old as the players, or they there was a few older than me. Now I think the Pistons only have two or three guys older than me. Oh my! Uh, so that's tough to swallow. But I love that actually. That makes me. I hate that. that. I hate it. <laughs> Um, but no, Kate is like, I always say, you could tell he was raised, right? Like whenever he comes into a interview or a press conference, it says, how are you guys doing after win or loss after when he's done says he appreciates us. Um, just a nice guy to talk to you shoot arounds. You can go up and just talk to him and have a conversation. Just a very likable guy. All his teammates like him. And then as a player, man, like this is a kid who I hate saying he has it because it's just so cliche, but like. He does like he gets better as games go on. He wants to take the, the the shots at the end. He makes the shots at the end. And it's not just shot making like he comes up with big defensive plays at the end of games. Like, I think the Pistons are just going to be in good hands because they have that guy who the, the hardest player to get in the league is, as you know, that's why teams tank is the guy who's the at his best in the most clutch moments. Yeah. And Cade already, while there aren't haven't been very many clutch moments for the Pistons, um, but when there have been, Kate has stepped up to the plate, no matter if he's 0 for 10 in the first half, like he was on Sunday against Cleveland, and then finished with 19, uh, 11, and 10 with some big buckets and big defensive plays in the fourth. Like 
he just has it, man. And you, it's so easy to build around a guy who's six, six and can play on the ball, off the ball. Um, who's a willing passer, who's a smart player who plays hard. Like he, he's everything to a T and I, and you know, this, like, well, I, I guess you didn't cover Blake long enough, but Blake is like at all. Yeah. You didn't cover Blake at all. People have always had like the perception that Blake was like this Hollywood guy because he came from LA where he was and commercials and all that stuff. But like, he was a very much like your prototypical piston, like Blake played his ass off before he was hurt. Blake dove on the floor. Like Cade, I don't know if people had the perception, like the number one pick, like, is he going to like Detroit? Like Cade's like that, like he's from Texas. Um, dad played football. He busts his ass. He plays hard. He's very much fits into the Detroit fabric fabric. And I know maybe people think that's like overplayed, like Detroit versus everybody, but you know, Jake, like, I mean, look at Isaiah Stewart Pl- fans get behind guys who just bust their ass. And aside from Cade being very good, he busts his ass. And so Am I allowed to cuss on here? I know sure. magic no, Disney. Good. I yeah, know. No, you're good. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. Earmuffs, kids. Um, yeah, they, kids. He's, he's been great. He's been great. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed getting to cover him. Um, what is I owe Franz the... Wagner an apology, by the way. So I apologize, Franz. Why? I thought he would be bad. He's not bad. It goes to show you, you know, I've I've been going through this um as a bronze fan. Yeah. I've been thinking about a lot about Baker Mayfield and about that draft because that was actually right when I first got to Cleveland. Yep. Um, and we're and I was working on the Browns Radio Network and for 923 the fan. And so I covered all of those guys and everybody. I mean, people like people would laugh at you if you said that Josh Allen was going to be the best quarterback out of that bunch. Remember, it was Darnold mm-hmm. and Rose. I was a Josh Rosen guy, which shows I'm like, yeah. Darnold Rose and Lamar was, you know, forgotten for the end of the first round. Yeah. He's going to be a receiver. He's going to be a receiver, according to Bill Polian. <laughs> and, and I just remember people going, well, if you don't, if, if you think Josh Allen's the best out of this bunch, you, you don't know about football. And I'm going, yeah. do you think the Buffalo Bills GM at the time didn't know anything about football? Like, right. I, you're a caller on 92 through the fan. <laughs> um, but even people who are, you know, who are more qualified than a caller on 92 through the fan. James, they're 20 years old or 21 or 22. It's just so hard to project this stuff. And some players and Franz, I think is a good, is a good illustration of this. Some players games fit better with the NBA than they do with college basketball. For sure. You know, I mean, he, look, he's, he's been, um, he's been a joy. I think, you know, Jalen sort of bumped his head the first 25 games or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw what Jalen's capable of specifically against Cade and those two, you know, I'm excited to watch those two for a decade to come, those three. Yeah. Um, it, and then you guys played the Cavaliers last night and we see Evan Mobley. And, you know, the one thing I knew coming out of this draft, uh, or at least that I felt very strongly about was that Evan Mobley was going to have a place in this league because of what he could do defensively. Mm-hmm. You didn't know that Jalen Suggs defense was going to translate the way it has. Um, but it's just, you know, these, they're, they're, they're balls of clay to be molded. Um, so, you know, gosh, we, we, and and everybody has to stick to their opinion these days, right? Like you can't gain new information and go back. You can't apologize. uh, You staked your claim. No, it's, it's stupid. Um, I didn't think really quick on Franz. I just, I didn't, I I shouldn't have said, I thought he'd be bad. I didn't think that. I I thought he'd be a a fine role player in the league. And I definitely didn't think he would show stuff this quick. So he looks obviously more than a role player and he's shown stuff very quick. And I just, I I say it on Twitter. I say it to friends. Now that I'm talking to a Orlando magic audience, I want to apologize to Orlandoans or Orlandoans 
Orlando Oweans. That was like Michigan Central, Central Floridian. Central, yeah, Central Floridians. I apologize. Um, a little bit of my Franz Wagner hate was rooted in the Michigan Michigan State. Of course, Robert. I mean, I was go- I was about to get to that. It always is. We've got three Wolverines. I mean, if you throw Aiken Rosdakis in there. um, And so, oh, oh, okay. So let me, what's it like working with Coach Beeline? Is that, do you ever ever get a chance to talk to him? Yeah, no, he usually comes up and talks to us. So for people who don't know know his role, he kind of oversees the player development. So um, he puts together, to my knowledge, like the the lesson plans for the coaches to work with the players. And then pregame, as guys do individual workouts, he roams the floor and just kind of watches and, and looks at shooting form and all that stuff. So um, while he's doing that and there's a little downtime, he always comes up and talks to us. Super nice guy. Super nice guy. I'm like actually um, surprised. Like I, I, I knew people who knew him and always spoke highly of him, but I never knew him. Um, and to get to know him, cool guy, has great stories. Um, yeah, I've really I've gotten to, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad that I have cool guy. Um. He is. I was really bummed out with the way it worked in Cleveland. I think it was probably yeah. a bad fit, but um, he means so much to Mo specifically. Uh, yeah. Franz played for for uh, Juwan, but um, I think uh, Beeline recruited him, though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and is as well. Um, so I want to go back to Cade. What is what's kind of like the next step? What is something that if he can improve upon, it's going to like click it all back together? Limit the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, averaging close to four a game. He only had one against Cleveland, so step in the right direction. Um, but it's not even like he's making fast play turnovers. It's more so like he'll – a lot of it was early on. He'd dribble maybe to the baseline with not without a plan. Yeah. Um, he'd, he'd lose the handle a little bit. Like it's stuff that he can clean up, and you've seen him do better job of keeping his dribble alive and not just kind of dribbling somewhere without a plan. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, outside of that, though, I mean, he's been good defensively. Um, he's been shooting the crap out of the ball the last few weeks, months, uh, his, he's finishing at the rim. I thought that would be the hardest thing for him when he came into the league. Cause if there was a knock on Kate, it was his lack of athleticism. And I right. thought we saw that a little bit at summer league. Like I thought he did struggle to score at the rim. Um, but he's, he's, I think he's shooting 55% at the rim. Um, it's, and it's even better over the recent weeks. Like he came as advertised, man. They said he was a flawless product, and I mean he is. And I think the turnovers are more. He struggled with turnovers at um in college, but I think everybody doesn't really hold that against him now because it's pretty natural for a young guard to struggle with those, yeah. um, especially when you handle the ball as much as he does. And then the free throw thing, he's only shooting two a game, which is one trip. Um, I think some of that he he should probably. I think some of that's just his game. Like he does shoot a lot of jump shots. Um, but he does get to the hole, and he, he is aggressive. I think as the career goes on, as the season progresses, the refs will uh, start uh, blowing that superstar whistle a little bit more. It's um, there are so many, you know, the cliches that the game slows down for you, but there it, there are so many different um, barriers to being able to get into the paint and finish when you're yeah. a ball handler. You know, Jalen really struggled with the turnovers early. He still is. Um, and it just takes time. Like, yeah. you know, th- these are trees they are called trees for a reason. <laughs> it's not the same as the big 12 or, uh, or, um, uh, the big you know, or, or Gonzaga for crying out loud, like <laughs> yeah. the St. Mary's Gales. Um, no, it's a whole different ball game. So, um, that's good though. And, and for me, I was like, did you know that everything was good when he put the buffs on? Like, was that, was that the yeah. moment? Yeah, that dude. I don't know if he's PR trained or if he's just, I mean, I think he's smart as crap too, but he knows what he's doing. Yeah. 
yeah, he knows what he's doing. He has a few moments like that where it's like he he knows who he's feeding into. Wise, very wise. He did his homework. Yeah. Um, the impetus, the reason I thought of you, I, um, I, I shouldn't say that. The <laughs> the tie-in for the for the pod, anyways, was this incredible piece you did on Ben Wallace. What about two weeks ago for the yeah. Athletic? Um, you worked on it for what half a year or something like that? Yeah, since the start of the season. Okay, so Ben Wallace is going into the Hall of Fame, and you did basically untold stories on Ben Wallace from teammates, uh, opponents, coaches. It was so well sourced. I was so impressed. Thank um, you, buddy. And and I, and I just wanted to know about your process. Like, did you basically as soon as he's inducted, you said, "I'm this is what I'm going to do." How where, where did it come about, and how much work went into it? Yeah, it's actually a funny story. So. Um, obviously due to COVID, there was a lot of things that were wonky in our life, but one thing that was wonky and I didn't really account for is there were two hall of fame inductions in 2021. So there was the one in the spring when Kobe and KG went in, which was technically the 2020 class. Right. And then there was the one where Ben Wallace went in in the end of, uh, end of summer, September, not really paying attention when the Kobe one happened, I assumed I had a whole year to get the Ben story done, right? Not knowing that his hall of fame <laughs> classes, when they actually do the induction. And then I forgot Kobe's in theirs was like a makeup for COVID. So I thought I had a whole year to collect these stories. So I was hoping to run it the day he got inducted. Um, so what I did was I was like, and you know, this Jake, Ben is a God in Detroit. So I was like, no matter when I run this, people will eat it up. It doesn't yeah. have to be timed with his hall of fame induction. People will eat it up. And I was like, what should I do? And John Krasinski, a great writer and coworker and friend of mine, did something similar with KG where he did untold stories. And I'm like, I sat back and I was like, I've lived in Michigan my whole life. Um, I followed. I mean, I grew up a Clippers fan, but I followed the Pistons just because my family was Pistons fans. Like, I've never heard stories about Ben Wallace. Like, we know about we've seen him play. We know the no nonsense attitude, but I couldn't think like I've ever read a story like a behind the scenes story about Ben. So I was like, that'd be cool. Um, so. Essentially, what I did is I, I kind of made a list of everybody who I had an idea of either played with them. Um, well, when it comes to people not in the Pistons organization, obviously, like somebody like John Kong, the Pistons equipment manager, who you know, has been around for a little bit and um, some other people in the who organization. had probably the best story of the yeah. story, I thought. Yeah, his was good where Ben just kind of came in and just gave him a $2,000 laptop and because his was messed and up changed his life and changed his life. It's yeah. awesome. It was cool to have Kong like watch Kong tell that story. Um, but I made a list of like former players, um, coaches who I knew had some interaction. So like the first one that came to Detroit, the Sixers played the Pistons in the preseason. Doc Rivers yep. coached him in Orlando. And I had heard stories. Um, we actually, I think, talked about it when I did the oral history of the um the only draft that was in Detroit in Michigan at Auburn Hills, and I there was mention of the um, or no, I take that back. I did a story, a different story where I talked to some former magic people and they talked about the Ben trade, but yes. So you knew about doc, not wanting to trade him. Um, and then you hear the story about, I didn't, I did not know he played the whole season with a broken foot. Essentially. Was, neither did I <laughs> Yeah, the walking boot on. So like, yeah, just made a list. And, um, and whenever they came through town or I went to their city, if they weren't like a head coach, I asked the PR to, if I could just ask them one question, take no longer than 30 seconds and had no really any difficulties getting anybody. 
That's dope. That is so awesome. And it, it was great. And again, if you don't thank you, hey, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, what are you doing? B, um, James does a great job. And, and and I like I like that you guys um, it seems like a co-op, like you guys are all kind of on the same team and you can you can, mm-hmm. you know, talk to John. Hey, I need some ideas about this. Is that yeah. what is that atmosphere like? Where does that come from? Is it? Is there anybody who sort of leads all of that? Or is it just kind of like you guys are just sort of your own, you're almost your own team of coverage? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of it is, and it's cliche, but I think we just have like a real, like a lot of good people on the NBA side who are willing to help people out. And um, we all, obviously we're a subscription-based company. So if we see something works, maybe something worked for me, somebody else on their beat can can use it and find a way to apply it. It's kind of similar to what I did when I saw John do the untold stories of KG. I'm like, oh, I could do this with Ben. So um, I, we all want to see each other succeed. Many of us like came in like me in 2017 when The Athletic was just getting started and see where it is now where New York Times bought us. And um, so I think it's just I always look at it like this. If uh, if a coworker brings in a hundred subs, like if he eats, I eat. If she eats, I eat. like we're all, it's all going to the same pot. So I think we're all willing and, and able to just help each other out. And cause we want the product to be the best it can be. And we want the company to be considered the, the best out there. There was some really good heart and hustle stuff that, I mean, that team, I'm, I'm sure, you know, but that team is like legendary down here. Yeah. Um, and they didn't even make the playoffs, <laughs> was, but they made like a million different transactions. It was um, it was John Gabriel. They wanted to blow the thing up. They knew they were going to go in, uh, go all in for T-Mac and Grant and Tim Duncan, which would have mm-hmm. been the original big three had it um, had it worked out. But that team was I mean, they were picked to win 20 games. Um, and Ben was, you know, Doc, Doc mentioned that Ben was the guy that he didn't want to let get away. But Ben and Daryl Armstrong were two of the keys to that team and, and, and two of the most important parts. Um, what did Ben tell you about that season, about Orlando, or or what what I guess what kind of insights did you learn? Anything more that didn't get published um, just about his time here? Yeah, I actually didn't talk to him for it. Right. Um, but I have in the – I think I've mentioned it to him in the past. I think – I mean, he, I think he enjoyed his time. I think that that team, like you said, fit everything that he was about. Uh, Monty Williams said something interesting in the piece where it was just like, like you people know how hard like Ben works, but like you don't really don't know until you see it. And he said he'd walk in the weight room and Ben just has weights on weights on top of weights as he's pumping iron and um, just how much he was kind of the catalyst of that doc talked about how Ben was kind of like the heart and soul of that team, just his work, like everything you know about Ben now, like he was doing that then. Um, and Greg Kelser told me, you know, Greg, color commentator um, here in Detroit for the Pistons. Greg Kelser told me the story about how when he, Ben was in Washington, that's a game like Greg remembers vividly. Like he killed the Pistons. And he's like, I think that's the game that like made the Pistons interested in him. And uh, they were able to get him down the line. So the guy has always just kind of been who he is and who he became famous for. It was just a matter of being on a smaller stage and, um, yeah, I was really excited to tell it because, like I said, I was like, man, there's just no Ben Wallace stories out there. So if we can just get a few. Like, I feel like a, a lot of Pistons fans will will feel served because they probably didn't realize they didn't know much about Ben Wallace. What um, going back to your process, what like do you, do you basically have the free range to do whatever it is you want? I mean, do you even yeah. like there's no who do you answer to? I mean, I have an editor, but like I told him I'm doing this and he's like, OK, let me know when it's done So like. 
like I said, I'd probably get two or three people a week. And I was like, no, what's a good number to get to? I was like, let me get to 15 to 20 and see how it goes. So yeah, I got to, I think 17 stories. I was like, well, this is enough. I got enough good ones, wrote it up and sent it to him. He's like, yeah, let's, we'll run it on this date. And I'm like, all right, well, it's good to go. Yeah. It's, that's one thing I like, like kind of create your own beat. Like, so since I've been here, I just, I found a, a system for me that works, a, a system that works for the fans and the type of stories they like and the, what I like. And I just execute those. And I don't have like a newspaper deadline where I, I have to have something every day, which is, which makes possible to do stories like that. So do you at any given time have three or four ideas or stories that you're working on, or is it more linear than that? For the most part, I would say, so I like to try to have at least at minimum three stories a week, just to, obviously people like to read about the team, just, just to have something consistently, but in the, in the midst of that, I always at least have one big story I'm working on. So now that that Ben story is done, um, I'm on to the next project, which I'm very, I'm doing it with two coworkers and I'm very, very excited. I think people will enjoy that. That's not, I mean, come on now. Yeah, I, I can't. Uh, can I give it away? No, don't worry about it. Right, I'll tell me. you off the air. All right. Tell me off the air. Um, and then last but not least is you You have a podcast now. And, yes. And, and Bun and Cardigan with, show. Right. With Nick. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I always, I, I've loved podcasts. Um, and when the time came for me to get one for the Pistons, I was like, all right. I don't want this to be like your, your, your average podcast where it's like you get on every day, you talk about the game you just watched because they don't win very much. I want it to be like entertaining, centered around the Pistons, but like fun and like, like barbershop talk, your two buddies hanging out and just talking pretty much and with little stuff sprinkled in the stuff I might not write about some tidbits I'll throw on the podcast. Um, just very loose and, and fun. Like I always wanted the dynamic of a fan and a beat writer because, um, there are a lot of fans who have a perception of our job and um, we obviously get angry with fans at times because they get angry at us because the team stinks or the team did this move. So it's like, it's an interesting dynamic that I always thought would make a cool podcast. Um, if you don't follow Nicholas Hinkle on Twitter, you should like, he, he kind of had his claim to fame as doing post-game recaps with the Pistons uh, about the Pistons. Um, his most famous one got on ESPN after the Pistons beat the Nets a uh, last season where he got in a shower and poured beard on him, beer on himself. Um, so yeah, he kind of just became like the king of Pistons Twitter. And I'm like, that's a, like, I reached out to him. We had talked every, a little bit before then I reached out to him. Like you want to do a pod? And he's like, yes, let's do it. And we've been doing it ever since. And it's a lot of fun. We do it once a week, comes out every Monday. Um, and yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. He's, he's got an interesting story. Didn't graduate high school. Um, Ended up now he works for uh, Buckets and Wave TV out in L.A. Yeah, it's very young guy, 23. Very interesting story. He's good dude. Good, at, good at what he does. I'm, and I'm honored to, to have him on the pod. Well, if you could save some some media for the rest of us, uh, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> you got to get you on our pod. I think that would be that would be a blast. Anytime I want you and Nick to meet. Yeah, anytime. Um, uh, congratulations. Thank you, Thank you for doing you this. Well. I'm so happy for you is James Edwards does a phenomenal job covering the Pistons on Twitter at JL Edwards. I, 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 is that yes. how it's? Yeah. The third. The yeah. Third I, 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 uh, I, and I love that shirt. What garage sale did you get the WCW Nitro shirt? At? Thank you. I actually got it in, of course, is LA. I was walking, uh, down, uh, not Melrose and it was on a thrift store hanger. Yeah. WCW Nitro TNT. 
I mean, come on, man. Is, that de- Drew... is, it, is it Stonewatch Denim? Yeah, it's Denim. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's dude. It was five bucks. Awesome. Shout out to Psychosis, La Parka, all the WCW <laughs> guys from, from the 90s. Hoovitude <laughs> Guerrero. Hoovitude. Oh, um, what was the German guy? Remember the guy who used to dance? Uh, oh, Disco Inferno. Uh, no, no, no. Um, Alex, Alex Wright. His name was Alex. Alex Wright. The leather jacket. And then, of course, Disco yeah. Inferno. Alex um, Wright. As That's well. funny. Uh, James, appreciate you, man. Be well. Yeah, you too, man. Appreciate it. All right. There he is. James Edwards. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. We're back next week with another edition. Until then, stay safe, everybody.